Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.53 a.m. Central Daylight Time. Oh my God, it's late. Totally late. We'll explain why here in a second. It's the 26th of October, 2020. This episode 309 of Bitcoin. And I've been hearing a lot of that talk about cultish Bitcoiners and it's a religion and, you know, all kinds of weird stuff. You know, I, I need to ask somebody what they think about this. Hey, Mike, what do you think about this religion stuff, man? The reason that the Bitcoin maximalists, the cyber hornets, if you will, the reason they're passionate and religious about this is because for the first time in human history, you can take all of your wealth and your life force, you can put it into an asset, you can keep the keys, you can take custody of your million dollars, your hundred thousand dollars, no government, no bank can take it away from you. There's nobody to tell you you can't own your life force. And if you have hopes and aspirations for your family, for your religion, for your, for, for your life, then you have the power to achieve those hopes and aspirations without asking the permission of a bank or a government or a politician. And, and if, if, money, if money is uh, energy right and and this energy is going to last a long long time energy is essential to life bitcoin is about immortal life it's about achieving your hopes and aspirations for as long as you can conceive of them now tell me you think you're going to love apple stock or gold or silver bars or bonds or municipals the same way as that Hell no, shitty. I ain't going to be thinking of anything like that anywhere close to the way that I think about Bitcoin for exactly the same reasons that Michael Saylor laid out for you in that piece right there. He was talking to that, oh, that weak-handed Tyrannosaurus Rex from Hedgeye. That, man, that guy, Keith McCulloch or whatever, that's just been, that was some cringe over the weekend. I saw all kinds of stuff. I'm not even going to bother putting it in the show because we got we got better fish to fry than that. Uh, this one, this one starts off community news. Uh, my friend Randy McMillan, who's if you're not following Rand, <clears throat> Randy, you probably should, especially after this one, because he got Neil Tyson DeGrasse to actually uh, get into wade into a Bitcoin thing, and it was just awesome. Check this out. Neil Tyson tweets something out. I don't know from what from what I'm seeing somewhere like yesterday, and a couple hours later, Randy responds to him and he says, uh, "Do you know what this is? <clears throat> I found it on the sidewalk. It looks kind of scientific." And he's got a picture of a cold card <laughs> wallet on a desk. Well, Neil responds directly back to him, says, 
clearly a space alien device they accidentally left behind after escaping hurriedly upon being spotted by people with cameras. And as you can imagine, Neil... Oh, I'm sorry, not Neil Tyson DeGrasse. He's Neil DeGrasse Tyson. He's that science dude, okay? Anyway, as you can imagine... <clears throat> Uh, he got hit by he got hit by the hornet's nest. There was just all manner of people just coming in and talking about Bitcoin and its feed, and I'm sure Neil is like, "What in the hell did I just get myself into?" So good job, Randy McMillan. Nicely done, sir. Well executed. Very very well done. Uh, let's see here. Oh, uh, this one. There is a an interesting initiative. It's a group of people that want to get the term and Bitcoin added to Article 99, Section 3 of the Swiss Constitution, which mandates gold be part of the Swiss National Monetary Reserves. Uh, they have a telegram group. Uh, let's see. What's the, what's the name of that group? Hold on for a second. Hold on. Hold on. I'm, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Uh, oh, good Lord. Ah, okay, I found it. It's not a very inventive or imaginative name. The, the name of the Telegram group is literally this. Voter Initiative, colon, add Bitcoin to art.99-3, parentheses, SNB monetary reserves, in parentheses. Yeah, like, a, it's not really imaginative, but it's, it's damn well descriptive, it, is, is it not? Anyway, so the deal is, this is uh, the constitution of which uh, they're talking about. They're talking about the Swiss for Switzerland, the Swiss constitution, their, their federal document that instantiates the nation that is Switzerland with all the rules and stuff and things and garbage and junk and stuff. Um, so in article 99 of the Swiss constitution, uh, it's the, there's the, the, at least three sections and it basically describes monetary, uh, some monetary policy, but really article or the section three is the um, part that describes how this nation of Switzerland is to keep their monetary reserves. And it mentions gold right at the very last. And what these guys want to do is, you know, we keep our monetary reserves in blah, 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 gold. And then they want to tack on and Bitcoin. They want that in the constitution. So uh, if you remember, go on over to the very long name initiative for, uh, for this and, and, and uh, hook up with some of these people because they're, they're great. Again, it's voter initiative, add Bitcoin to article 99-3 SNB monetary reserves on Telegram. If you just can't find it and you really want to get into it, uh, hit me up on, my DMs are open. Just hit me up, uh, slide into my DMs, bro. And I will uh, hook you up with the uh, invite for that thing. Okay, so now moving on. <clears throat> Let's see, where are we moving on to? Uh, do, 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 where are we at? Oh, uh, Square Crypto has a new grant. That's right. They are forking it over again. They have a new grant. This one is for Ricardo Casada, which is at R-C-A-S-A-T-T-A -T -T -A on Twitter. A FOSS dev. Who forgot to read the grant agreement before signing it and is now condemned to spend an eternity aboard a ghost ship that sails from port to port attempting but failing to plunder people's Bitcoin. No, 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 really. Square Crypto really is giving this guy a grant. Uh, this is awesome. It's just one more, you know, one more for the record books. And I think I got a whole story about that on the way, but we will have to wait until the morning roundup, which is coming next. 
Let's start it off with some good news, if temporary, because I guarantee you this is going to change. But the new IRS form clarifies how to file taxes on crypto, quote, transactions. This is by Will Gotsigen from Decrypt.co, writing sometime yesterday. It says, in the latest draft of its mandatory form for personal income tax, the United States Internal Revenue Service has clarified crucial language about which cryptocurrency holding holdings, sorry, holdings and transactions need to be disclosed and which do not. According to the new Form 1040 draft, which the IRS released on Friday, if you only held crypto but did not trade it, you can safely check the no box next to the form's primary crypto question at any time during 2020. Did you receive, sell, send, exchange, or otherwise acquire any financial interest in any virtual currency? So if you did this, so if all you did this year was sit on your crypto or transfer it between your own wallets without selling for fiat, you're in the clear, right? So still unsure? Well, the guy, the updated guidelines provide specific examples of cases that fall under the general headings of receiving, selling, sending, and exchanging cryptos. Airdrops from hard forks, such as September's Uniswap airdrop, are taxable events, as are exchanging crypto for goods, services, or for other property, including for uh, for another virtual currency. And what constitutes sending between your wallets? <coughs> Transfer between wallets means transferring funds in and out of exchanges for admin purposes. Shehan Chandraskara, head of tax strategy at crypto accountancy software company Cointracker, told Decrypt. But crypto wallets are anonymous, right? Alphanumeric strings. Say you lost your keys to the account that you just sold a thousand Bitcoin to and are trying to pass it off as a transfer instead of a sale? Said Chandraskara, sorry, the U.S. has a voluntary tax system. You are expected to report income correctly by default. If you are audited, then you'll have to substantiate. In this case, you'll have to prove that you actually lost the keys, end quote. Last tax, this is going to be important. If I remember, because my brain is all addled and shit, if I remember, I'll get into the uh, act, prove that you lost the keys thing here in a sec. Last tax year, the question about virtual currency only appeared on Schedule 1 of the Form 1040, which U.S. taxpayers have to request separately. This year, the IRS put the issue of virtual currency front and center on the tax form by relocating it to the very first page of Form 1040, which means that everyone, not just Schedule 1 filers, will have to confront the question. Quote, I don't think this indicates any new approach, he told Decrypt today. The IRS is merely providing more clarity on how to answer this question. It shows that the IRS really cares about transactions that affect your tax bill. Of course they do. At least for now, the IRS doesn't seem to care about your holdings. You aren't required to disclose them anywhere unless you have a taxable transaction. End quote. Notably, though, the new clarifications don't explain exactly or what exactly the IRS means in its crypto question by the phrase, quote, financial interest, the scope of which may be broader than it seems. In a Forbes article earlier this year, Chandrasekhar suggested that owning crypto through a pass-through entity this could apply to, say, stakeholders in a crypto-generating business, might qualify as acquisition or financial interest. In those cases, writes Chandra as a conservative tax paper, it would not hurt to check yes. With the crypto question on the front page of the tax form, there's no excuse. Quote, this is not the time to play around, Chandra told Decrypt earlier this month. Okay, now getting back to that whole... Um, 
proving that you actually lost the keys. There's no, you can't prove a negative. By default, in all logical arguments, you can, you can go to your philosophy department at your local university and you can go up to the, all the professors of metaphysics and logic and ask them the same question. Is it possible to prove a negative? And they're all going to say no. It's impossible to prove a negative. I had this discussion with a, with a fine gentleman out at Bitblock Boom, who's a crypto lawyer. Actually, he's, a, uh, he's not a lawyer. In fact, not a lawyer at all. He's a CPA. And I had this discussion with him, and this, this was brought up because my question was, you know, is it possible? And I'm never going to do this, okay? I'm not, I'm not bent this way, but, you know, other people are. Can I sue Roger Ver for forcing me to do a bunch of shit because they airdropped uh, Bcash, okay? And then by, by extension, the same question can be asked of Calvin Ayer and that other idiot that did BSV. And yes, there's news about those two idiots later on. And the reason I ask is this. <clears throat> now I got to do shit that I wasn't going to have to do. It's not like I begged Roger Ver to, you know, to throw his pile of crap upon me that was going to cause me a tax, you know, possibly a taxable event. And then I was going to have to actually substantiate. I actually have to do, I would have to do work that I never asked to do. Therefore, I have been put in a situation through no fault of my own by simply existing because of the actions of not a government, not a municipality, but a private individual. And that's different. Okay, I can't sue the government because they decide to make a new law that forces me to do shit. But when a private individual causes me harm to my wealth, which I include time as part of, that's different. That's, that is different, okay? So the question was, you know, that's how I start, we started the conversation, but it ended up with him saying one of the most fascinating things that I've ever heard about you'd have to prove that you, that you never had the keys, okay, or that you, that you had the keys and lost them. Neither one of those you can prove. And when you really get down to it, because I can't prove that I've lost the keys, that I am not physically in possession of them, then it gets worse. Because at any point, any human could not know whether or not, I mean, I know this is going to sound silly, but honestly, I, I might have a wallet that I don't even know about because of, just because of the way the system works. Somebody could never touch crypto but they cannot prove that they never touched crypto. They can't prove it. Think about that because that's some messed up shit right there. But before I just blow all the time that we have together today, and I do love my time with you people today, uh, I'm going to get into this one. Siberian gold deposit has the world's largest reserves. Oh boy. Stock to flow going to have to be readjusted on this one. October the 22nd, Yulia Ferdinova is writing for Bloomberg Business and says, Polyus, PJSC, Russia's largest gold producer, said it's, get this, untapped Sukhoi log deposits in Siberia holds the world's biggest reserves. Yes, they could be lying. We don't know. But if they're right, this could suck because this is untapped. That, that's the key right there. They haven't dug whole one into this thing. They haven't extracted gram one of gold from this thing. But an audit showed that the Sukhoi log 
has 40 million ounces. That's 40 million ounces of proven reserves as measured by international JORC standards with an average gold content of 2.3 grams per ton, Chief Executive Officer Pavel Grachev said. That means the field, according, uh, accounting for more than a quarter of go Russian gold reserves, is bigger than Seabridge's Gold Inc.'s KSM project in Canada and the Donlin Gold in Alaska. Quote, the estimate of the reserves is an important milestone in development of the field, Grachev said in an interview. Sukhoi Log, located in the isolated Urkursk region of Siberia, was discovered by Soviet geologists in 1961 and studied in the 70s. The government had long considered offloading the deposit and in 2017 sold the whole field in an auction to Polyus and a state partner, which the mining company later bought out. How do you buy out a state partner? Is, I mean, I just I keep thinking that the state partner was actually a state department, but it may have just been another private company that was partnering with the state. But still, it's that sounds really really funny. Anyway, Polya said earlier this year that it would focus on smaller projects and reducing its debt ratio in the coming years before developing the field. The company plans to announce details on expected production and investment at Sukhoi Log once a pre-feasibility study is ready by the end of the year. It previously said that costs could reach $2.5 billion with annual output totaling about 1.6 million ounces while developing giant deposits is typically a lengthy, lengthy and costly process, the field may allow Polyus to boost annual output by at least 70%. Gold prices have rallied about 60% since the company purchased it and reached a record in August as vast amounts of stimulus were pumped into ec economies to curb the damage from the coronavirus. We want to show that a project of this quality and scale can and should be carried out taking into account the best environmental standards despite the hard-to-reach location, Grachev said. Uh, let's see. The audit shows, uh, this is just some bullet points here as an update. The audit shows that as well as economically mineable reserves, the deposit has 67 million ounces of total resources, up from 63 million ounces previously estimated Good Lord. So I guess that means other metals like silver and you know, some of the other stuff that goes along with gold, I, I think. But OK, so auto, uh, so here, here's what it means. This field has been completely undeveloped, which means no gold has been pulled out of it. And when they start pulling gold out of it, if they even hit their estimate, that means over the next, let's say, tw 27, let's just go 30 years. 40 million ounces of gold is going to be dumped on the market. So yeah, stock to flow becomes kind of important there. Uh, JP Morgan is turning bullish on Bitcoin, citing uh, a potential long-term upside. Yeah, first they laugh at you. October the 24th, Joseph Young tells us all about it for Cointelegraph. And he starts this one with JP Morgan a $316 billion investment banking giant said the potential long-term upside for Bitcoin is considerable. <laughs> this new optimistic stance toward the dominant cryptocurrency comes after PayPal allowed its users to buy and sell crypto assets. Uh, the main factor put forward by JP Morgan's global market strategy division is Bitcoin's competition with gold. The note obtained by business insider reads quote, the potential long-term upside for Bitcoin is considerable if it competes more intensely with gold as an alternative currency, we believe, given that millennials would become over time a more important component 
of investors universe, end quote. The analyst also pinpoint the large valuation gap between Bitcoin and gold. At least $2.6 trillion is said to be stored in gold exchange traded funds and bars. In contrast, the market capitalization of BTC remains at $240 billion. JP Morgan's note essentially emphasized three major reasons to support the long-term growth potential of Bitcoin. Number one, Bitcoin has to rise 10 times to match the private sector's gold investment. Two, cryptocurrencies have high utility. Three, BTC could appeal to millennials in the longer term. Following the integration of crypto purchases by PayPal and the rapid increase in institutional demand, Bitcoin is increasingly being viewed as a safe haven asset. There is a massive difference in the valuation of gold and Bitcoin, albeit the former has been recognized as a safe haven asset for a long period. BTC has many distinct advantages. JP Morgan analyst also said, quote, mechanically, the market cap of Bitcoin would have to rise 10 times from here to match the total private sector investment in gold via ETS bars and coins. A little different there. One of the advantages Bitcoin has over gold is utility. Bitcoin is a blockchain network at its core. That means users can send BTC to one another on a public ledger efficiently and practically to transfer gold. There needs to be physical delivery, which becomes challenging. As seen in many cold wallet transfers, it is easier to move $1 billion worth of capital on the Bitcoin blockchain uh, than with physical gold. The bank analyst further explained, quote, Cryptocurrencies derive value not only because they serve as stores of wealth, but also due to their utility as a means of payment. The more economic agents accept cryptocurrencies as a means of payment in the future, the higher the utility and value. Well, frickin' duh. Why don't you hire me? Shit, I'd come work for you. Just to tell you all the truth, anyway. Uh, Bitcoin is still at a nascent stage in terms of infrastructure development and mainstream adoption. As Cointelegraph reported, only 7% of Americans previously bought, bought brick, bit, bit, Bitcoin, Bitcoin, according to a study. Some major markets in the likes of Canada still lack a well-regulated exchange market. Large banks are yet to provide custody of crypto assets, and that gives Bitcoin a large room to grow in the next five to 10 years. Yep. Hey, first they laugh at you. Tether denies pulling support for Peter McCormick and Craig Wright libel suit. Oh boy. Thomas the M is writing this one for BTC Times sometime yesterday says, quote, this is a lie, was the first thing Stuart Hogner, general counsel at Tether, had to say about an article published on Saturday by Bitcoin SV or BSV affiliated publication CoinGeek. The cause for Hogner's outrage, I think it's Hogner. Uh, if I'm butchering your name, dude, sorry, don't sue me. I know you're a lawyer and everything. The case or cause for Hogner's outrage is the latest in dozens of courtroom reports from BSV creator Craig Wright's libel case against what Bitcoin did host Peter McCormick. After the latter, alongside numerous other Twitter users, called Wright a fraud in 2019. <laughs> We've been calling him a fraud long before that, dude. Saturday's article claimed that Tether which has been backing Peter McCormick financially during the legal proceedings, has now withdrawn its support and mused that the move came after Tether and McCormick saw overwhelming evidence that th uh, that would be fatal to their defense. The article adds that, quote, it is very clear from these actions that Tether has confirmed Craig is Satoshi, end quote. <laughs> Just God, quote, 
neither assertion is true, Hogner told the BTC Times, but such claims from the likes of CoinGeek are neither surprising nor new, end quote. CoinGeek is a publication owned by BSV advocates Craig Wright, supporter Calvin Ayer, and has often come under fire for spreading false claims and misleading readers to the benefit of Wright and BSV. The publication is known for vocally supporting Wright in his libel case against a number of popular figures in the Bitcoin space. Uh, in 2019, Wright sued Peter McCorbick as well as pseudonymous personality Hodel Anot, Blockstream CEO Adam Back, Ethereum co-creator Vitalik Buterin, and Roger Ver after they called him a fraud for claiming to be Bitcoin creator Satoshi Nakamoto. While he has since dropped the lawsuit against Back, sue Ver, oh, I'm sorry, he sued Ver a second time after the first lawsuit was dismissed by the High Court of England and failed to follow up on the suit filed against Buterin, the initial proceedings with McCormick and Hodel Lanot are dragging on. Wright has made numerous claims over the years, <clears throat> such as statements that he owned but couldn't access the private keys to Bitcoin addresses associated with Satoshi Nakamoto, and that he wrote the Bitcoin white paper, but also that Satoshi plagiarized him when writing the white paper. Earlier this year, an anonymous Bitcoin user signed 145 Bitcoin addresses Wright had claimed to be in possession of with a message calling him a liar and a fraud. In 2019, McCormick estimated the fees for his defense could potentially run as high as 750,000 pounds. Jesus. Depending on the course the proceedings would take, the actual legal fees to date are not known. In November of last year, Hogner revealed that Tether would stand behind McCormick in his defense. Speaking to the BTC Times this week, he shared that some others have supported Peter during these proceedings and Tether is honored to be counted amongst them. Since then, Tether has contributed more than $300,000 to McCormick's defense, but the stablecoin issuer hopes other industry representatives will chip in as well. Quote, defending against an abusive and meritless lawsuit is an expensive proposition, and we believe that more members of the community must step up the time for empty virtue signaling is past. People that are sitting idly by and doing nothing about baseless and incendiary attacks like these should ask themselves how confident they are that they won't be targeted next. End quote. No shit, bro. According to two sources that wish to remain anonymous, McCormick is now indeed looking to settle the lawsuit, a decision apparently based by the growing financial burden associated with the ongoing proceedings with no change to McCormick's conviction that Craig Wright's claims to be Satoshi Nakamoto are false. The current funding status of McCormick's legal expenses is unclear. According to one source, this result likely presents the outcome Wright's side may have hoped for as it allows for BSV advocates room to claim that the settlement attempt proves that Wright is the pseudonymous Bitcoin inventor. Quote, their strategy to run up cost stupidly rather than show any real proof seems to have worked. End quote. An expert report made public earlier this year detailed that emails used by Wright as evidenced in court had been forged and backdated to make it appear as if he was Satoshi Nakamoto. Whether a settlement will happen is not clear at this point. Hogner, who remains clearly upset with the claims made by CoinGeek, reiterated that Tether believes Peter McCormick has done nothing wrong here. Quote, there has been nothing at any part of these proceedings that has changed our minds about Peter being on the right side of the case. End quote. Okay. I don't know. Peter is also pissed off about this um, about this <clears throat> piece out of CoinGeek. In fact, the whole reason I even uh, latched onto this shit was because I saw a reply of Peter to I I don't remember who he was replying to. He was replying to some some dipshit 
But anyway, um, you know, and Peter's not going to be able to talk about it. Uh, you you just can't do that kind of thing. You'll you'll end up getting in in real trouble if you talk about a case that's ongoing, hasn't been settled yet, or uh, a judgment hasn't been uh, finalized on. You get in real trouble doing shit like that. Judges don't like that. But this begs with the question: Is why any of the judges that are involved in the in the libel case uh, for Hodel and not uh, Peter McCormick, and then this fiasco that's going down going down in Florida? It I don't know how much more clear it can get that Craig Wright is a fraud, a straight up fraud. He's a liar. He's a philanderer. He's a huckster. He's a fraud. Craig Wright is a fraud. He's whatever. Harvest Finance put a, puts a $100,000 bounty on alleged hacker. What's Harvest Finance, you ask? <laughs> Well, it's part of the DeFi community. Let's let Helen Parts tell us all about it for Cointelegraph. Harvest Finance, a major decentralized finance protocol, has seemingly issued a $100,000 bounty in the aftermath of a $24 million attack targeting its liquidity pools. Oh, my in an October 26 tweet, Harvest Finance said that there is enough data so far to identify the attacker, quote, who was well known in the crypto community. Yeah, it sounds like a hero to me. Oh, God. So, okay, <clears throat> Harvest Finance's $100,000 bounty came shortly after the protocol was apparently hacked earlier today with an attacker reportedly exploiting about $24 million from Harvest Finance pools and swapping for RenBTC. That's RBTC. A Harvest Finance subsequently confirmed the hack, claiming that the protocol is working actively on the issues of mitigating the economic attack on the stablecoin and BTC pools. Okay, I want to read that again. The protocol is working actively on the issue of mitigating the economic attack on the stablecoin and BTC pools. Bullshit. The protocol is not working actively on the issue. You might have a team of people who are actively engaged in trying to figure out how you smoked a whole shitload of people's value, but that your protocol isn't working actively on the issue of mitigating the economic attack on the stablecoin. Jesus. The attacker subsequently sent back about $2.5 million to the developer in the form of Tether and... <laughs> USD coin, quote, this will be distributed to the effective depositors pro rata using a snapshot, Harvest Finance tweeted. In a joint effort with REN protocol, Harvest Finance managed to identify Bitcoin addresses where the funds were transferred. Harvest Finance's representatives subsequently asked major exchanges, including Binance and Coinbase, to freeze the allegedly stolen funds. At the time of publication, Harvest Finance's farm token tumbled about 60% over the past 24 hours. Total value locked on the Harvest Protocol also dropped heavily from above $1 billion on October the 25th to about $575 million, according to data from DeFi Pulse. Okay. So the attacker pulled, uh, who, what, who did that? Have? Sushi. Pulled a sushi and sent one of the developers uh, Tethercoin and uh, USDC. That is gorgeous troll that that is epic level trolling right there because that's what they're saying it's like i i think that that's what the message being sent is it's like you don't need any of this shit 
If you're going to do this crap, you just need Tether and USDC. Now, I don't know. I'm not a stable coin advocate. I, I don't trade, so I, I, I don't have a reason to learn all about the stuff, right? But, dude, from what I do know, you, this is just, this whole DeFi thing is going to get people really hurt. I mean, probably physically. If any of you guys are involved in DeFi, and I'm talking like at the dev, dev level, and somebody can find you, somebody's probably going to find you and it's probably not going to end well because this has been going on for so long. It, and I, I don't even know why it's still going on. Everybody should have already gotten the message in the ICO scams. Okay, don't do this. This is going to end poorly. It can't end up any other way. Let's run the numbers. I won't be doing futures and commodities because I'm late today and for reasons other than <clears throat> no other reason than uh, I woke up and it's 21 degrees outside and I had a, our, we have nursed a kitten back to health and she was laying on my neck and I'm like, uh, I'm not getting up. I'm just going to lay here. I'm going to chill out with my family on the couch while the kids get ready for school instead of in here yakking into this microphone anyway. So that's why I was late. So therefore I'm going to be able to actually give you the real numbers and buddy, they ain't good. S and P 500 is down two points. NASDAQ is down 1.6. The Dow Jones is down two and a third. The FTSE's down uh three quarters. Nikkei's down and eh, Nikkei's moving sideways. Hang Sang is sideways. Shanghai is down a point. Uh, volatility jumped 13.5 points. Let's see, is there anything? Uh, all the bonds are down. Uh, but German, uh, oh my God, I haven't reported on the bond prices in a while, but the German 10-year is at minus 0.57. So it's going to cost you over half of a percent to hold this pile of garbage. Why would you hold it? I don't understand. Ooh, oil got, got smacked, bitches. Oil is down almost four points, 3.86. It's only going to cost you $38 to buy a barrel of West Texas Intermediate. Uh, natural gas has made its move to the upside. It is now over three bucks for a thousand cubic feet. Gold moved to the upside, but almost negligible. It's gonna its price right now spot is 1,906 bucks. Silver's down a point below $25. Let's see, is there anything else interesting going on? No. Why? Because this is all fake money. Let's talk about real money. And Bitcoin is at $13,186. Uh, looks like that's going to be the high price. I got a low over at, oh God, Simex is $13,133. So $53 arbitrage opportunity for anybody who wants to waste their time and risk their Bitcoin. 242,000 transactions were performed over the last 24 hours. That's a scant 10,000 transactions on average per hour. Yet still, 2.5 million BTC moved in that time. That's about 103,000 BTC being sent on average every hour. And the average transmission, uh, transaction value is 10.24 BTC, while the median transaction value is 0.035 BTC or about 465 bucks. 12 block times are extraordinarily high. 12 minutes and 52 seconds. So we're damn near three minutes above where we should be. 
We'll find out what happened here in a minute. Uh, 0.67 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis and 75 BTC have been taken overall uh, in fees in the last 24 hours. Here it is. Yeah, we got popped. Let's see. We are 17% to the downside on hash rate. We're chilling out at 119.5 exahashes per second, which was the all-time high just a few months ago. So this is why I don't worry. It's also why Bitcoin... However, these people do not. Ethereum at $403. Bcash rallying to 263. Litecoin up to 57.36. BSV at 177. Ethereum Classic uh, moving sideways at $5.50. Dogecoin gets a bump, 0.0028. And with 46,000 transactions in the last 24 hours, it clobbers Ethereum Classic and Bcash. Litecoin is still hovering at around 100,000 transactions uh on uh, the daily so still don't know why that is now uh clark moody is looking at thirteen thousand one hundred and ten dollars there are thirty eight thousand transactions waiting to clear that will take 24 blocks for all those transactions to clear there is one point oh sorry <clears throat> 1041 btc in the Lightning Network, that's $13.6 million of liquidity spread across 7,532 nodes. And we're at 35,840 channels. Percentage of Tor capacity remains unchanged since Friday, 50.3%. That's 524 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network. And there are 2,489 nodes powering the Tor side of the Lightning Network. That's going to do it for Vitals. Bitcoin drives the market up as DEXs deflate. Matt Husey is going to rewrite this one for Decrypt.co sometime this morning, in fact. Over the weekend, superlatives continued to pour in from Bitcoin's performance. Leading the charge was Michael Saylor, the MicroStrategy CEO who recently snapped up $425 million in Bitcoin, which is now worth considerably more. In an interview with financial news outlet Real Vision, the multimillionaire boss of the business intelligence firm also said that when investing in Bitcoin, one is always worried that they are not investing enough. No kidding. Quote, if it's not a hundred times better than gold, it's a million times better than gold and there's nothing close to it, said Sailor. Here at Market Report, we like to think Bitcoin is more akin to fine wines, whiskey, and watches, but people are entitled to their own views. Close behind on the praise train was Kanye West, who appeared on Joe Rogan's podcast to tell viewers that Bitcoiners have a perspective on what the true liberation of America and humanity will be. <sighs> Bitcoin's price over the weekend held steady, moving down just 0.06% in the last 24 hours. But the Cinderella story for cryptocurrencies over the past few weeks has been the children of Bitcoin. Children of the corn, children of the corn. The projects that spun out of the mother of all cryptos. We're talking about Litecoin, BSV, and Bcash. Over the last month, Litecoin is up 25%, Bcash up 21%, and BSV is up nearly 10 as well. But while these... Projects have been hoisted up through the market cap ranks. The same can't be said for the DeFi projects. <sighs> oh, Harvest Finance, what have you done? Volumes on Ethereum-based decentralized exchanges have fallen off a cliff this month. Trading volume is down 41% in the past 30 days. 
according to data from a dashboard on metric site Dune Analytics. I can't wait for that movie. That shit's coming out. Ooh, they cast Stellan Skarsgård as the Baron Vladimir Harkonnen. That by itself is that by itself is going to be reason enough to watch that movie, man. Uh, how did how did that happen? Sorry, weekly trading on decentralized exchanges peaked at just over $8 billion on August the 31st before activity started to cool off. Weekly trading volumes have since fallen to just under oh, $3 billion as of October the 12th. The most recent data that Dune Analytics uh, platform has data for, that's a decrease of more than 62% since the late summer peak. Quote, decentralized exchanges were, all, were the gateways to the DeFi market now, that the crazy yields have disappeared, the markets are correcting to lower levels of activity, says a spokesperson from AAX, the world's first digital asset exchange powered by the London Stock Exchange. Over in the fiat markets, (laughs) traders had a terrible weekend. At the time of writing, the S&P, Dow, NASDAQ, crude oil, and even gold were all down as cases of coronavirus break new global records, and it's all bolt. Okay, never mind. Forget I said anything. In the White House, several members of Vice President Mike Pence's staff has tested positive for the virus as confirmed cases worldwide cruised past the 42 million mark and number cases of confirmed deaths went north of a million. Hopes of a stimulus package to steady the ship appear to be fading, but traders are hoping this week's batch of earnings report will give them something to cheer about. I don't know how. Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Facebook, Google, AMD, and Shopify are among the hundreds of companies due to release reports this week. These tech companies all saw significant gains during the COVID era, and so traders are hoping for big things in the week to come. Okay, well, all right, that makes sense. Those companies I can see benefiting from delivery of services because most of it is delivered digitally. But the like physical goods and shit, you can probably kiss all that goodbye. Oh, God, Black Friday is going to be so much fun this year, I think. Um, one thing to be said, though, it is, it is October the 26th. From what I understand, and I'm not sure, but MicroStrategy is due to release its quarterlies. You may want to look into that if you have never looked at quarterly reports before. I think this would be a good one to look at because what you're going to be looking at is what's on their balance sheet. You know, maybe not as much as how much, you know, uh, product they sold or anything like that, but you're going to be wanting to measure last quarter, quote, before Bitcoin and this quarter, quote, after Bitcoin and look at them side by side. Um, I think it's going to be an interesting story, but we'll have to see what happens. Anyway, so the quarterly report from what I understand, and I may be wrong, but I don't think I am, uh, quarterly report from MicroStrategy due to be released tomorrow. Now, uh, speaking of other CEOs, Abra CEO's portfolio is 50% Bitcoin as cash is, quote, becoming worthless. Cointelegraph's Helen Parts is going to impart all that to us right here. The co-founder and CEO of major cryptocurrency company Abra is clearly bullish on Bitcoin. In an October 23rd tweet, Bill Barnhart, CEO, is it Barhart? B-A-R-H-Y-D-T. You figure it out. But he's the CEO of peer-to-peer payments platform Abra, and he claimed that he has significantly increased his Bitcoin holdings as of a few weeks ago. According to the CEO, Bitcoin now accounts for 50% of his total investment portfolio. Barry Art, whatever, talked about his holdings on an episode of Money Talks in an 
October 23rd YouTube live stream, he reiterated his bullish stance on Bitcoin, claiming that Bitcoin is the single best investment opportunity in the world right now. The executive said that Bitcoin scarcity is one of the biggest reasons why the cryptocurrency is the best investment option. As the minting of new Bitcoin approaches zero in the coming years, its value versus fiat will continue to skyrocket, in my opinion, he said. Quote, cash or government printed money, also called fiat, is actually becoming worthless while Bitcoin's value remains constant. There will never be less fiat printed than is being printed right now. Cash is only going to get more and more worthless, end quote. During the live stream, he also touched upon stablecoins like Tether and USDC, as well as central bank digital currencies. He argued that the issuance of global CBDCs like the digital wand does not mean that central banks are going to stop printing money. Quote, it's the opposite. This actually makes it easier for them to continue their irresponsible behavior of simply printing money at will, he said. He, he, he's also known as one of the most prominent Bitcoin bulls in early of October 2020. He claimed that he had been bullish on Bitcoin price since 2015. Previously, he called Bitcoin a store of value comparable to gold. The CEO's comments follows Bitcoin hitting New Year's, or sorry, New Year's, new highs this year. Yeah, well, that not surprising. Although, remember, take that whole thing with a grain of salt because you're talking about not a CEO of a company that has nothing to do with Bitcoin. Abra has everything to do with Bitcoin. It makes sense. But, you know, hey, pile on, everybody. <clears throat> okay, now here's that, that I told you about that Ricardo Casada grant. Well, this is the write-up. This is actually being written up by Nick Chong for BTC Times, uh, announced on October the 23rd. Ricardo Casada has received a grant from it for an undisclosed amount by Square Crypto, Square Crypto is a Bitcoin-focused development branch of $80 billion financial technology company Square. Casada is a Blockstream engineer currently on sabbatical, and he intends to work on the Bitcoin development kit with Steve Myers. The Bitcoin development kit is a collection of tools and libraries that developers can utilize as a base for Bitcoin software, namely wallets. Casada further stated his plans to continue working on his personal project, Firma, through which users can turn old phones and computers into air-gapped Bitcoin hardware wallets. Prior to joining Blockstream, Casada founded Eternity Wall, a Bitcoin-based messaging service, and worked as an engineer and researcher at a number of banks and financial companies in Europe. It is unclear how long Casada's sabbatical from Blockstream is. This is Square's latest move to support Bitcoin. The company earlier this month announced that it is deploying 1% of its corporate treasury to purchase Bitcoin, uh, as the BTC Times reported, Square's executives argued that Bitcoin has the potential to be a ubiquitous currency in the future and noted that it acts as a hedge amid macroeconomic turmoil. Square Crypto is also in the midst of developing its own product, the Lightning Development Kit. The LDK, seemingly inspired by the aforementioned Bitcoin Development Kit, is a kit of tools that attempts to provide developers with an easier method of integrating Lightning into their applications. The company's grant to Casada is the latest in a series of many. Along with funding seven other developers and five Bitcoin designers, Square also helps fund BTC Pay, Lightning Signer, the Eye of Satoshi, and CoinSwap from Chris Belcher. Developers, designers, and companies working to help Bitcoin adoption can apply for a grant through Square Crypto site. You know what? I think I'm going to write up a grant for sponsoring the show. I mean, why not? It's not like it's illegal. Right. I mean, the worst they can do is laugh, point at me and say no. 
So, you know, what the hell? I think I'm going to do that. Hey, if you guys got any tips on really good language to use when writing a grant, slide into my DMs, bro. How to buy Bitcoin with PayPal. Renee Millman is going to tell us about this 2020 update. I don't know why that's in there. Apparently there's an update. Whatever. Decrypt.co's got it for you. And it says, as of, oh, the whole thing's an update. Okay, now, update. As of October 2020, PayPal has announced that it will introduce options for cryptocurrency buying and selling through a partnership with Paxos Crypto Brokerage. Uh, Purchase, sorry, launching in the U.S. in Q4 2020. Ooh, that's coming up. PayPal will allow purchases of Bitcoin, Ethereum, Bcash, and Litecoin within its PayPal digital wallet. In the first half of 2021, the features will roll out to select international markets. From early 2021, PayPal users will be able to pay merchants with cryptocurrencies, with merchants receiving funds in the form of fiat payments. Okay, I think I know how that's working. However, PayPal notes that at least at launch, the crypto in your account cannot be transferred to other accounts on or off of PayPal. Whether that feature will be added at a later date or what the impact will be on other services that enable crypto buying and selling through PayPal is as yet unclear. Decrypt will update. Well, thank you, Decrypt. I appreciate that. Uh, Bitcoin has been around for over a decade. In that time, a plethora of ways to buy Bitcoin have cropped up. One relatively uncommon method is to use the online payment system PayPal. Although merchants on the platform have been able to accept Bitcoin from as far back as 2015, Buying Bitcoin using PayPal is a different matter altogether. Relatively few sites support it as a payment method. The main reason is that PayPal, like other credit companies, lets buyers request a chargeback in the event of a fraudulent transaction. That opens up the possibility of a buyer falsely disputing a transaction, getting their money back, and still receiving the Bitcoin they'd bought. Credit companies like PayPal typically side with the buyer in resolving a dispute, and because Bitcoin is pseudonymous, PayPal has no way to verify that the dispute is fraudulent. Bitcoin transactions are also irreversible, meaning that in the event of a fraudulent dispute, the seller will likely be left out of pocket while the buyer pockets both the Bitcoin and the chargeback. That explains why PayPal won't let you buy Bitcoin directly. But there are some workarounds available for Bitcoin buyers who want to use PayPal. All right, so they've been, it goes on this original, I think this was, when was this originally done? This is probably quite a while ago. Let me see. The update is of October 26th, but they're talking about things that have been going on for, you know, for quite a while as, as to why uh, PayPal wasn't into Bitcoin. But this kind of answers a little bit. Um, it kind of reminds me of somehow or another, it kind of reminds me of strike kind of in a way. And some of the things that Jack Mallers is playing around with basically being able to, for me to be able to buy something with uh, Bitcoin on the Lightning Network, and yet the the actual, you know, person can actually, or the person selling me the good or service can receive that in fiat. So there's a conversion method that I don't have to worry about. And that's great. I, I dig that. I mean, because I, I don't really want to be dicking around with that kind of shit. If you want to sell me something and you want to get paid in, uh, paid in fiat, as long as you give me the option to buy it with Bitcoin, I am way more likely to buy it from you than to somebody who won't even take, you know, a lightning payment or Bitcoin or, or anything, because I'm getting to the point where I don't want to touch fiat. I feel dirty when I do. That's just the way it is. But 
Okay. So apparently that's, you know, maybe this whole thing is coming where you'll be able to use PayPal and, and pay somebody directly with your Bitcoin or God forbid your Bcash. I don't know who would take it, but whatever. However, PayPal is not all nice and shiny. Okay. It, they're not They're I, I think PayPal, PayPal itself is really a scumbag company and I don't like them. And that's why I do not use them. If, if I can get away from using PayPal at all, I always do that. And I haven't had to use PayPal in a while. Why am I going on like this? Well, because PayPal deplatforms conservative domain registrar over, quote, alternative currency. Jack Martin has this last story for today's roundup out of Cointelegraph and says PayPal has terminated its services to domain registrar Epic, that's E-P-I-K, allegedly due to a risk of money laundering through its alternative currency Masterbucks, according to an article on Mashable. However, in a series of open letters, Robert Davis, Epic's senior vice president of strategy and communications, has suggested that the motive behind the move is to de-platform conservative voices. Epic notably provides domain services to Gab and the Proud Boys, among other far-right websites. The Proud Boys domain was recently spoofed to send threatening emails to Democratic voters reportedly by Iran. <laughs> the Masterbucks cryptocurrency, or sorry, the Masterbucks currency is presented as Epic's solution to an absence of conventional liquidity, which it claims is one of the largest structural challenges affecting the domain industry today. Masterbucks can be used for transactions within the Epic network or converted to U.S. dollars. An archived version of Epic's Masterbucks webpage also promotes the tax advantages of the currency, although it has since been removed. An unnamed source quoted by Mashable claimed that Epic had not fulfilled the legal requirements to run such a currency and was encouraging tax evasion. PayPal reportedly informed Epic of the issues over a month ago and has tried to come to a solution before finally terminating the account. As Cointelegraph reported, last week PayPal announced its intention to enter the cryptocurrency market, offering users the ability to make payments, blah, 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 with Bitcoin, as we all know. So, okay, <clears throat> so that's quite not quite so bad. I mean, honestly, honestly, guys, there are tax issues about this kind of stuff. And it looks, it clearly looked like these guys are kind of acting a little bit like um, money transmission services. And if that's the case, I fully expect the SEC and the Department of Justice to hang, to, to hang these guys out to dry on the branch of the tree that is known as the Bank Secrecy Act, just like they're doing with the guys over at BitMEX. Uh, that dangerous game to play. It, and I, I guess, you know, PayPal, if they, if they were not to terminate this service, here's what would happen. They get sued by the shareholders because you, you're just opening yourself up to get like pummeled by the SEC and the Department of Justice over you not complying with the Bank Secrecy Act. And that's going to get people in trouble. That causes stock prices to plummet. That causes people to run away from the platform. And that causes revenue to go down. And that means shareholders have standing to sue the living shit out of everybody in the company and the company itself. I guess in this particular case, I can't blame them, but PayPal has this nasty habit of deplatforming you from, from your payments thing for years, they've had a very bad habit of doing it, not explaining why, 
not working with you, not trying to clear up the issue. It looks like in this case, they may have tried, but this is with, you know, a company and not an individual. Apparently if you're an individual, you're just a mere pleb and nobody gives a shit about you. But still, I don't use PayPal. If I can get away from it, I will not never use PayPal. I have no interest in using Bitcoin via PayPal. None whatsoever. I have so many other tools available to me. I got more I got more Bitcoin tools available to me than I even know how they work. Right? I I I got my head wrapped around a couple of them and every day I wake up and it's like something freaking new and it's just sometimes you got to step back, take a deep breath and and look at what's going on. Even if you don't understand each of these things individually, if you just step back from it and look at the whole landscape and realize it's changing before your eyes. You've never seen this kind of mutation rate in any industry ever. I guarantee it. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Daily Trainwreck is brought to you by Lance R. Vic. That's I, or rather at IRVIC, literally I-R-V-I-C-K on Twitter. He says, hey, GitHub, remember that security bug where anyone can attach commits to repos they don't control? That bug that you said that you will not fix? It was used to attach the YouTube download source code to your own DMCA repo. Have fun at DMCA. You two deserve each other. So what the hell is he talking about? Parker Higgins or at XOR on Twitter has this one. Holy cow, the recording industry, wait, wait, hold on, let's see. Uh, the Recording Industry Association of America, or RIAA, has gotten YouTube downloader taken off GitHub and uh, put up, and it shows the DMCA notice. And he goes on to say, I should say GitHub has categorized the RIAA letter as a DMCA notice, but it's not really. That term generally describes communications sent pursuant to sections 512. This letter is about the section 1201, the controversial anti-circumvention rules. Right, so what happened? I right, if I used to use YouTube Downloader all the time, and there are several different ones. Uh, this is I, I get the feeling that they're probably all pointing to the source code, which is actually named YouTube-DL. That's the actual name of the repository on GitHub. So it allows you to basically download stuff from YouTube. And I used to use it all the time. And then one day it broke and I just started figuring out other stuff to do and other ways to to work around it. And since I'm not trying to repost the video and I'm only stripping audio, I got all kinds of different ways to do that. Okay, I don't need YouTube Downloader anymore. But still, if you wanted to get a video out of of, uh, YouTube, you can't. You had to use something like YouTube Downloader. Well, a DMCA notice was put up on the YouTube Download uh, repo. You can't, you can't get the code. So what's funny about the train wreck, if we go back to this thing, uh, this uh, Lance guy, he, and I'm pretty, I don't think, I don't know if he did it or not. I hope so. But he attached the YouTube DL source code to the DMCA repo, which means that by 
by the rules of the DM or by the rules of the DMCA, they literally have to strike their own account. It's it, he's he or whoever has done this has forced at DMCA on Twitter into a hypocrisy. I absolutely love it. And people, apparently there was this, I had no, I had no knowledge about this bug that allows anyone to, to attach a commit to a repo that they don't control. I had no idea. That seems kind of freaking stupid as shit, but apparently this is probably going, you know, I, I get the feeling this very well may be a trolling, uh, like a, a new trolling meme where if you don't like somebody and you've got the YouTube DL source code, you can just go attach a commit to their repo and call the, and, and notify the DMCA about it. And don't do that. Okay. Don't even if it's okay. Well, maybe if it's BSV, but I, you know, I'm just saying, don't do that because that kind of shit comes back to bite you in the ass. Okay. So not even BSV, let them burn. Okay. Just let them burn. They'll burn themselves out eventually. Same thing with Bcash, same thing with all the rest of, of the shit coins, which apparently is now we're all going back to altcoins because it triggers Vitalik for some reason. I don't know. Saw something akin to that this morning on Twitter. Anyway, so any, well, shit, that's your smoldering pile. Terrible Joke Corner, brought to you by Dad Says Jokes. I saw a man that used different cuts of steak to create portraits of people. It was a rare medium, but well done. Get it? Well done? Yeah. That's hilarious, huh? Oh, I figured you guys like it, considering that all of us, uh, apparently we're all carnivores, religious fanatics, and a great big room full of meanies. I don't know. People really need to gut up and not be so damn tender about everything. It's just ridiculous. Uh, is there anything else for me to say? Oh, uh, I got to start doing this more and more often. Um, rate the show, help a brother out, go to Apple, the Apple iTunes. If you go to my Twitter account, my pinned post has like links to wherever my, you know, most of the places, the majors where my uh, Bitcoin po- Bitcoin and podcast is. Um, if you go to Apple and review it, leave me a five-star review and give me a good review, man, I'd really appreciate it because that, that helps. I'm kind of still kind of floundering over here in the, in the, in the uh, college dorm backwater of Bitcoin podcasters. And that's okay. I, I, I love everybody in this space anyway. That's why I started doing it. But it would be nice to grow the show. So like, uh, chat you know instagram my show out to all your friends put it on facebook if you've if for whatever reason you're doing what i'm doing and not really using um what's the name of that thing uh hold on for a sec uh i gotta find it i gotta find it oh good lord i should know this oh good lord linkedin linkedin i am now using linkedin basically as social media it just doesn't have a whole lot of value to me in doing anything else. So I throw stuff up on about Bitcoin on uh, LinkedIn. And surprisingly, there are some people that are kind of enjoying that content. Anyway, if you would do the same for me, your LinkedIn, your Facebook, your Gab, uh, if you got a MeWe page, you know, Mastodon, hit everything. I'd really appreciate it because it would really, really, really help me out. Also, I may be doing something slightly different this week, but 
we'll have to see. Let's just say soon, TM, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.